Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Are we going? Yeah. We didn't pray. Sorry. That's all right. Let's pray on the air. Okay. I thought you were going to do it. We pray for a living. Oh, that's right. I am. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to spread your world, build up your your word, build up your church, do everything for your greater glory. Please bless our conversation, bless this equipment, bless those who are listening. Allow us to always to say only what is your will, that we may with humility and confidence understand your word and your person better and may share that through our conversation, through our friendship, and through our ministries. As we pray, Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit, Spirit of Truth, truth everywhere present and filling all things, treasury of blessings and giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O gracious one. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. And welcome to Catholic Steps You Should Know. Um, You're Father Michael. I'm Father Michael O'Loughlin. You're I'm, Father Nathan. I'm Father Nathan. <laughs> Introduce each other. We're getting, we're getting readjusted. We oh, have, yeah. We have done multiple recordings in a, a variety of different settings and postures within this very room. Did, uh, did you? Don't worry, that wasn't a natty light. That was a. <laughs> this is a San Pellegrino. Blood orange. Tarosa. Um, you and I have recorded just the two of us in this room, right? Man, I'm out of it. Maybe? It feels like as we've mixed it up so much that I, I don't know, but yeah. Did I was I just saying, this room is so much bigger than our other. We're in the, what are you calling this now? Dungeons and Dragons Dungeons room. Dungeons and Dragons room. Uh, and we pretty much the whole room is the studio. So. Yeah. I am, I'm, as many of you know or have intimated, I am not good with feng shui, uh, with like ordering things, nesting, whatever else. And, uh, Me neither at all. Yeah. I think I came into your house 10 years ago and walked in just like before you moved and it's like, it's the exact same. Yeah, it is. It is. I, although, uh, as I think I mentioned on the podcast before, Father Peter Mussett, God bless him, came in and made it look a bit homey for me. But I've just, I'm moving back into the rectory. I have to do that tonight at like 10 o'clock PM. Oh, really? I'm moving back in cause we're out of the condo. Um, reclaim. Reclaim the rectory. And, uh, take back the night. There was a family living there, a seminarian family mm-hmm. from our eparchy living there for a month. So it kind of got a little more homey. Oh, I good. noticed they rearranged my icons so that it actually makes sense. I just kind of had this blob of icons all over one wall. Yeah. And it, it was just like I knew where they were so I could look at them in prayer. But it wasn't anything like anything structured. So our seminarian Kyle and his wife and their kids came in and, uh, and made it logical. So I'll, I'll move into actually a more homey house than I moved out of. Cool. Yeah, and then I get a seminarian uh, coming to the parish in mid-September. He'll be with me for a spirituality semester from September to December at Holy Protection, and uh, we'll share with him the beauty that is our parish. And he is a music major, so I think it'll be a really actually good asset to the parish to teach those of us. We have so many people in my parish that are so incredibly zealous. They all want to sing, which is beautiful. We just need some training because I got a training. I got a half an hour of voice every single week. For my entire four years of seminary, yeah. half hour of voice lessons every week for yeah. four years. It was amazing. I've actually thought about putting my parish through voice lessons, not to be like, okay, you're a baritone, you're a bass, right. but just be like, this is this song. 
and here are the notes, yeah. and here's how the tune goes, and this is how you say the words in the song. Because, you know, you get that one guy that's like, Agnus, Agnus. <laughs> I'm like, not really. <laughs> and actually, we're doing that. We're getting private lessons for all the everybody who wants to canter my parish. And we're getting it from free, which is awesome. Um, but it's for us, it's just how to project, how to breathe, things yeah. like that. Because, I mean, they, they generally know. You hear these things over and over again. But it, uh, one lesson or ten lessons can improve someone's voice True. so much. Yeah. And especially in a church where we chant and sing everything, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, you have incredible stamina when it comes to singing. Because uh, I will sing for maybe six straight minutes like because i mean it's uh you yeah. know the eucharistic prayer right um and by the end of that i'm like man i don't know how he gets through two hours and then do another one back to back well actually i was noticing it just because of my age but um you know obviously you learn when you're taking lessons how to have stamina because you breathe with you know with your gut right. the base of your gut and so your throat doesn't get worn out um but there is a there's very much like now that my seminarian's gone back to seminary we i canter matins so i do the mm -hmm. eight o'clock liturgy then i canter matins then the 10 30 liturgy with almost no break in between and it is about five hours of singing yeah. almost straight or speaking of course with the homily yeah and so you it does take practice and that's kind of what seminary is it's a, it's a training grounds for for singing st almost straight for five hours because what i need to do is i need to stop stop singing with the people because i'll sing with the people too and then it, it literally is just singing straight which right. is good prayer but yeah Yep. Kind of rough. Um, well, actually, that not that experience, but the experience of uh, recent liturgical activity is, is why I picked my topic. And, um, so I apologize again to parishioners. Um, this is a bit of my homily, but uh, for the beheading of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. um, we, in the, we in the Byzantine tradition. That was yesterday. That was yesterday, exactly. And this will come out on Thursday, so it's, it's applicable still. Um, we in the Byzantine tradition hold what we, who we call the Holy Prophet, Forerunner, and Baptist John. Holy Prophet, Forerunner, and Baptist John, the three titles, three main titles. I'm in immense esteem, and we have more feasts for him than anybody else except the Mother of God and our Lord. Um, you know one of them. I was ordained on the uh, third finding of the head of John the Baptist. Um, there was a... Uh, it's like finding your car keys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there it is. I forgot it was in my purse. Exactly. I found his head in my back pocket. Um, so it, usually that meant it was either stolen and then received back again or stolen and stolen back again. Or there was one time, the first time it was just kind of found buried somewhere. I was wondering how to hide it. So anyway, we have, but he is the only one other than our Lord and the mother of God in the Byzantine church who has the feast of their conception. Do you guys have the feast of the conception of John the Baptist? Yes. Okay. You you have a lot of minor June, minor feasts. June twenty fourth. Okay. I, I honestly should know that, and I don't even know. The well, because it's uh, six months before uh, six months before the oh. uh, Christmas, because it goes with the summer yes solstice, and then the okay. Well, that's his birth, though. I'm talking about the conception. Oh, conception. Yeah, so no. nine months earlier. Okay, no, so sorry. Yeah, so we celebrate his birth. We also celebrate his conception. Father Michael's going to explain to me after the podcast <laughs> the difference between birth and conception. So, <laughs> sorry. Do you want me to explain to you how uh, how a baby's conceived? Father so, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah <laughs> put on Teddy Pendergrass, and it was a Thursday. The venerable Teddy Pendergrass. Recycling day. It's That's important. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, he got done with his time in the temple and he did a break. Okay. Um, anyway, so we, we, we hold him in very, very high esteem. He always has a place on our iconostas somewhere. Uh, according to Byzantine tradition, in the eternal banquet in heaven, he is sitting at the left hand of Jesus. Hmm. So James and John could not sit at Jesus' right and left because his mother is sitting on his right. And John the Baptist is sitting on his left. Just, of course, pious tradition. Um, we hold him in, in very, very high esteem. So the feast, the uh, commemoration of his beheading, was obviously a massive moment in the life of the church. Um, therefore, the the Vesper service uh, on for beheading um, drags Herod and Herodias through the mud. So you guys know the story. Good. Matthew and Mark. Um, John the Baptist uh wanted to preach the truth and the law so he called out herod for sleeping with his brother's wife and so herod didn't seem too debilitated by that yeah. but his wife was herodias his his eventual wife was so um she held a grudge and so herod had john in prison and then one night he called all the most important people of the town around and the people he wanted to impress, in other words, according to Byzantine tradition, he also got drunk, which I think that's, you can even get that from the, uh, yep. Uh, and then, so then his Herodias' daughter came in, performed the dance that intrigued him so much that he offered her anything, even a half of his kingdom. And then she went to her mother. And since her mother was, had this grudge against John the Baptist for calling her out, she said, I want that of John the Baptist on the platter. And Herod didn't want to do it. He, in a sense, the scriptures would say he re regretted saying he'd give her anything. But since he said that and he didn't want to disappoint the guest, he didn't want to show he went back on his word. So, of course, he sent and John the Baptist was beheaded. Now, the the Vesper service gives uh, Herodias and Herod, I mean, horrible, horrible names. Please share. Um, uh, uh, the disciple of the all evil Satan is okay. Herodias. Okay. And... Herod, if I remember correctly, is the she's the disciple of of the all evil Satan, something like that. I'm not, I'm not as eloquent as it is, and I did not write it down. I should have. And, and Herod is is something about a disciple as well, a, a follower, you know, the offspring of a lie. That's what he is. He is the offspring of a lie. Mm. So you know that there there's these titles given to them, and so. At first, I'm thinking, okay, obviously the beheading of John the Baptist. This was the end of John the Baptist's ministry, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John was the holy prophet, forerunner, and Baptist of Jesus. So he he came before Jesus, prepared the way for Jesus, etc. All these things from Elijah, about from Isaiah, all these foreshadowings, etc. So John the Baptist wasn't he fulfilled? Um, but if you look at the situation. Like Herodias, okay, she wanted this for a long time. It was very deliberate. But in our American justice system, imagine in most justice systems, you spend a lot more time in prison if you kill someone deliberately after planning the whole thing out than if it's a crime of passion. Like in my mind, for Herod, it was a crime of passion. I mean, he had important people there. He got drunk. He was probably filled with lust at, at this dance, whatever. He did whatever it was. Just he, he he got worked up that night, and he he didn't want to disappoint. He promised something he was going to go mm -hmm. back on his word. Yeah. He didn't want to disappoint the very important guests. So he had John beheaded. Such an important event in the life of eternity, having the forerunner of the incarnate Word beheaded mm -hmm. obviously god used that as he does every evil thing that happens are you trying to let him off the hook i i'm kind of kind of I'm, I'm trying to say that herod is not that different than you and i 
No. Yeah. Imagine if you had if you had a button on your phone that gave cancer to the person in the car in front of you. Like if we all had a button on our phone and it was you point your phone at that at, at whoever's pissing you off. Yeah. And push the button and they will get cancer. I mean, obviously if there was a five day waiting period, we'd all calm down. But if it was like in the moment, if we sometimes we get so mad and, and, yeah. and, and think about it. I mean, like uh, uh, pornography is rampant, rampant. Why is it so rampant? You and I hear confessions all the time because it's available. It's available. If you would ask people 600 years ago and kind of mention like, you know, what pornography was, they'd probably be abhorred by it. You know, just just that that whole idea. The women would be well. Yeah, the women. I mean, there, there was always. It's it's such a loser thing, honestly. I mean, it really is. It, it, yeah. It's just. It's like it's so unmanly. It's just so. It's oh, anyway. That the, there, there's something. There's something about that. We 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 struggle with that as a society because it's available. Pornography is so available to us now. If hurting someone or killing someone was that available to us, I think as Christians, we need to stand in all humility and say the only reason I haven't killed someone is because it'd be relatively hard to do. There's been moments when I have been so mad. I mean, not okay, don't kill, kill someone's a lot. That, that, that I haven't seriously hurt somebody out of rage. Yeah, and it's just and thank God it hasn't been available to me. When I preached this homily, one of my parishioners walked up and he goes, "Father, I do have one of those buttons on my on my phone." And he lifted up his shirt and he had his concealed carry, he had his gun there. I thought, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously that, that is. He's, I've, I've never used it. Thank God, I never will. Um, but I think what I'm getting into the getting out of this and getting to is that Herod had that button on his phone. He had so much power. Yeah. That he could literally just snap his fingers and have John the Baptist killed. And I think it's important for us, as much as the church calling Herod and Herodias all these names, as much as we condemn them for uh, affecting the history of salvation in such a major way, that impulse in the moment of rage, in the moment of lust, whatever it is, we, we almost become addicts. We, 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 we fulfilling this hedonistic Right idea becomes like it conquers everything else. It overcomes everything else in our mind. And I think Herod is a good example to say, except for the grace of God, there go I. Well, and, and it was actually his pride that because he he came to his senses in some sense. He was he was reflective enough to know that if he didn't do this, that other people would think badly of him. You know, right? Exactly. So I wouldn't. I mean, I would say he was not drunk, but he was. Like he was affected by the drinking, the the party spirit, you right. know, and then eventually the lust of this this girl. So he was which affected. Which is technically his uh, niece. If it's his yeah. brother's wife, That'd it was his sad. niece. Yeah. So yeah. kind of incestuous. Things were kind of Game of Thrones back then. I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, uh, so. So yeah, I mean, he was he was weak, yeah. And I I agree with you. There were but for the grace of God go I. I mean, yeah. Uh, but like uh, to to place yourself in a position where you have to rely on your virtue and you don't have it, then right. it's like it's not like I need to feel pity for you because you got put in a situation right. that you that you shouldn't have been put in. It's more like you're an idiot, right? And you're actually like a vicious person. And you're an idiot for putting yourself in that situation. I think what the problem with Herod was that was that it, he was impacted so much by immediate 
issues by immediate things. I mean, the 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 drunkenness. The, the church says he was drunk. You know, tradition. The drunkenness was an immediate thing. You know, the, the having the friends around. He, uh, he was lost in the moment without the foresight that comes with virtue. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where my homily went. I think that's the solution. We're not, celebrating, we're not <clears throat> celebrating Herod here. We're celebrating John the Baptist. John the Baptist lived on the desert. He separated himself from even the small sins. He dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He, he ate grasshoppers and wild honey. He probably smelled horrible. You know, I mean, th- th- this wasn't someone who who was kind of wanting to earn the, the acclaim of the world or yeah. earn attention from men. It was the exact opposite. So I think if we want to say, if we can stand as Christians in all humility and say, I can, I can forsake everything I've worked for. I can forsake in, in a moment of passion, in a moment of weakness. Yeah. Like I, I can affect the rest of my life, as has happened with many, many people, because of one stupid action, a big stupid action. How do I prevent that? Because we should stand with the fear of God in those moments yeah. and say, mm-hmm. except for the grace of God, there I go. So how do I get to that point? And I think John the Baptist then, of course, is the example. John the Baptist who, who separated himself from the luxuries of the world in order to prevent you know, th- that that moment of weakness that could affect things so horribly. I think we all know people that have done that, you know, and I, 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 I we're about that every moment. I'm riding my brother's motorcycle right now. One little wrong turn and I could be, you know, all over the road. You know, it'd be, be it'd be horrible and, and affect my life, whether I die or whether I just, you know, get maimed for the rest of my life. And it would be horrible. So like th- these moments are, we need to be very careful. And there's ways of having hope and confidence in it to say, I I would have, of course, I need to submit to God and always be humble before him and say, hopefully in that moment, God would help me out. But it's also the case where I have to build up virtue through habit to say, when the temptation comes, I'm in the habit of fighting temptation mm-hmm. rather than saying, I just kind of give in every temptation that comes my way, mm-hmm. which is kind of what the fear is here. What, what Herod in that one moment. Gave well, I mean, him. we've talked about this before, so it you know bears repeating that if you want to have if you want to do great things for god and for like others start with small things right and like master those because you know martyrdom sounds just amazing yeah. you know um but like where are you when you know like the dishes need done right or you have to make that phone call or um i don't know i mean you you know you you have to say your breviary and it's like six forty five at night and you are like I don't know I kind of want to go to dinner yeah. you know instead so it's like why would God actually grace me with the opportunity to <laughs> to do martyrdom when I'm actually showing that I don't even witness in the small things right. so yeah I mean just to go back for a second though I mean. Okay, so if we're saying that it's a crime of passion, you know, and it's a lot more, it's a lot worse to be cold and calculated and everything. I mean, Jesus does say, you know, like, woe to the one who, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, you know. So in some way, it's like, well, Judas kind of calculated, but even his was sort of a crime of, of passion or of, you know, like, uh, he wasn't really seeing all the ramifications of it. And even he repents, you know, he throws the money yeah. back in and everything. So, and like, you know, Cain, 
what was the big deal with Cain and Abel? Right, and I I think that I think that's a good a very good example is Cain and Abel because I mean in, in we don't know it doesn't say if Cain deliberated but it certainly you know there was some so he felt rejected. And it was all kind of in the same moment, right? He brings his offering to God. He gets rejected. He goes out and kills his brother. I need, I need to reread it to see if there's any implication of the next day or whatever. But there, there certainly is a – and I, I think the point here is that crimes of passion, we, we say all the time, like, oh, I, I did something stupid, but I was drunk. I mean, I don't know if you hear that in confession mm-hmm. too. Like, mm-hmm. And you're like, right, you can do a lot of really horrible things when you're drunk. That's not an excuse. Yeah. You know, in other words, that you shouldn't have gotten drunk. Like, like th- that, that's kind of the sign of good habits that build up to if we don't have the good habits. Um, you know, but, I mean, look what Cain affected. I mean, crimes of passion that we might just kind of blow off as, oh, sure. I was really hot at that right. moment. You know, I, I was really angry, whatever. Like, th- those can have horrible, horrible effects. And we, as Christians, need to say that even we cannot make excuses for crimes of passion. And that's what I'm saying. The church doesn't do the church, even though in yeah. my mind, I might say, oh, it's true. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, for Herod, it was like, there was a lot going on. No, the church doesn't make any excuses, right? He's a disciple of the all evil Satan. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, so th- those to prevent the moments where you might be more susceptible to the momentary passions, that's where virtue. And in the example of St. John the Baptist, the ascetical life, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, daily work, yeah. the work for the poor. You know, if we get in the habit of, of again, to go back to fasts, if, if I struggle with, with, you know, meat on Fridays, and if I, if I get good at resisting the temptation to have meat on Fridays, that will assist in the, in the greater temptations, mm-hmm. right? If I can't even, <laughs> which I'm, I'm convicting myself here, if I can't even give up meat on Fridays right. or other smaller things, how you're right, what you said, how am I ever supposed to go with the bigger things? And God gives us those smaller things as guided by the church to prepare for those bigger moments. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so it, it, I had something. Sorry, I lost. No, no worries, no worries. It's like a sneeze. Okay, <laughs> it'll come back. Never mind. It's not going to happen. Um, so you know, I, I I've always been a bit intrigued by the uh, by First uh, John five sixteen, um, the oh, very yeah. end of First John, where he talks about um, this is the passage. If anyone sees his brother sinning, if the sin is not deadly, mm-hmm. he should pray to God, and he will give him life. This is only for those whose sin is not deadly. There is such a thing as deadly sin. There is such a thing as deadly sin about which I do not say you should pray. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not deadly. Yeah, First John. What did I say? Just John. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. First John. I think, for, yeah. First John, no, it is. And that goes to my point that I'd forgotten, so thank you, um, is the ascetical practices... Uh, aid us in you know being able to overcome you know those temptations or whatever but even more importantly is a good community yes like a good environment that you place yourself in you know i have to say to people frequently in confession you are not as virtuous as you think you are um (laughs) so stop being stupid and putting yourself in a position where uh there's a possibility that you might succumb yeah I had this friend in at community college, um, and uh, there was this place called the Wild Side Cabaret uh, in K- Kenny, Illinois, uh, which was the only strip joint in like you know forty five you know minutes or an hour, maybe two hours. I don't even know. And he was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna eventually take you there." I'm like, "Nope, you're not." Yeah. And he's like, "No, no, no, you're you're gonna come with me, even if I have to like you know." tie you up in the back of my truck and i'm like 
I will get out. Yeah. I will get out of your truck because I know myself well enough that that will not be good for me. Um, and so I'm not going. Yeah. Caleb eventually befriended one of the dancers and paid off her car, wow. her electrical bills, her rent, her like puppy food, all that stuff. Like it was really bad. And eventually he had to get out. He had to extract himself from that situation. If he had good friendships and if I would have been a better friend to him, uh, and we weren't that, that close at that time, but, uh, I would not allow that. I would not allow my friend to go down that path. Um, and sometimes like, no, 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 I can handle it. I can handle this. And it's like, no, actually you can't. And, uh, whether it's people with addictions or people with, uh, yeah, it's a serious sins that border on addictions. They lose their free, excuse me, they lose their freedom and their friends who are anchored can help them. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes people don't want to be helped. Right. You know, so a good community, good virtuous friendships, but also like a good environment where it's like, we're not going to allow this to be part of our, of our community. Right. Um, and sometimes I think we'll, we accept way too much, um, yeah, just uh, sinfulness. Like we tend towards evil that it's like we're not helping each other. Yeah. There, there, there's something I, I've realized, and I might have said this before. I apologize if I did. But there, there's there's something about the brilliance of the devil where he like – I mean I think we've all had that experience when, when we were kids. There was some sort of sin that we just abhorred. I mean abhorred. I mean like we're we're all kind of trained – you know, to say, okay, the, these are the really bad things, you know, there's some sort of, we afford. And then at some point in our life, we get so tempted to do it that we do it. And then we look back on it and go, well, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like the consequences of my sin, like in my mind, it was just going to be the end of the world. Yeah. And now I've done it and it's not that bad. And the devil's keep keeping us from realizing the full extent of what we've done. That's what he's doing there. So, so the devil will, will kind of walk us down and then through the influence he can have, will will tell us that's not that bad. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. And will keep us kind of diminishing the effects of all yep. sin until, until he decides that we're to the point where he can switch on us and say, that's too bad. Right. Like he goes right yep. from that's not that bad to even God can't forgive that. God yeah. will not forgive it. He can't forgive it. And th- that's the brilliance of the devil so that we are either kind of being led by a leash towards sin. And then at some point he's just like, oh, man, I didn't push you that far. That was all you. And and, right. and, and God's not going to be able to forgive that. You know, th- there's, there's something there when I re- meet a lot of people that are – in one of those stages or the other, either they're, they're kind of moving slowly into sin and making kind of all kinds of excuses for minor sin, or they did something that they considered or really was a major sin yeah. and now are despairing. Well, I might as well do everything now because I'm going to go to hell anyway. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the difference with what John's saying in, in 1 John 5 about there is deadly sin and there's non-deadly sin. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's important for us. He's doing it in the, in the context of prayer, which is something that we, we need guidance in understanding that passage for the reason why it was written. Because, um, you know, it's, it says, I'm not telling you to pray for people who have committed deadly sin. You know, that there's he's not saying don't pray for them. He's just saying I, that's not something I encourage you to do because they've separated themselves from the body. And if they've separated themselves from the body, that's what deadly sin means. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're not no longer united with Christ. Therefore, they don't they're, they don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. You yeah. know, they don't inherit heaven. So praying for them is is in a sense 
praying for someone who's separated. And the effects of prayer when somebody's in the body is one part of the body affects every other part of the body. So that's what prayer does. We're in the body. When someone's separated, the prayer, in a sense, takes on a different form, mm-hmm. you know, because because it can't be as effective because they're not we're not one. We're not united with them. Yeah. Um, but there there is something to say for for sin that is that is deadly and that we need to work on. And I think that's what we're going to say. We tend to do this whole venial mortal sin thing, you know, yeah. and, and use right. these this terminology. And and uh, depending on where we are, we can say, oh, I, I can do all the venial sins I want as long as I'm not sinning mortally. But as soon as I sin mortally, you know, I have to run a confession that at that moment or something like that. It's just moral life is very odd. We humans are on, on a roller yeah. coaster. We need to be abhorred by all sin. You know, but but we also need to understand that that, that venial sins repeated can lead to mortal sin, and we yeah. do need to have patience with ourselves in God, but also work urgently to purge ourselves of those through God's power. Yeah. Well, it's it's so funny. I I remember being in the same position as some people um, that I I hear these questions from them, which is how far? Yeah. You right, know how right. drunk how drunk <laughs> do I have yep. to be before all of a sudden I've committed the the mortal sin? Or right thing. Um, or sexual sin, or money, um, and I—I uh, I don't know. I—it's I, very. I mean, we can do a different topic on something like that. Um, but just going back to your point, uh, there's a there's a point at which we allow certain amounts of sin in our life. You know, like you were saying, and we were talking about this in moral theology, where it's like. Um, say you look at like a, a baseball card and you're like, I really want it. You know, the rookie Ryan Sandberg rookie card. That's what father Brian Larkin wanted so bad. <laughs> He's now gotten three of them from parishioners. <laughs> so do not send him one, uh, have no pity on him. Um, uh, but you know, he wanted it so bad. He, and he's looking at it in this window and everything. And then eventually it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I'm going to steal it. So then you take it. And there's that first rush of that wasn't mine and now it's mine and I have it. And in a way it's like that was better than I thought or easier than I thought, but also like I'm okay with that. And then the next time is always easier, you know, and then the next time. So then effectively what you're doing is you're just building momentum, you know, you're just building, you're kind of snowballing more and more and and the force of that just kind of keeps reduplicating and then that goes into other areas yeah. you know and it's really interesting to point out to some people uh they're like well i committed this sin father and and i'll just i'll just ask some random questions not random questions but i'll ask some questions and they'll be like well how did you know that and i'm like well uh you were probably going to do this for quite some time hmm. you know because of this this and this you know right. um and uh, you know it's sad but i mean illicit uh, fornication, there's never illicit fornication, but uh, illicit sexual love, um, sexual lust will lead to murder at some point. Um, and the more you kind of go into that, the the more it's like, you know what, I, I want this for myself, you know, look at David, look at what happened. Like he began with, you know, just kind of gazing upon Bathsheba and then eventually like takes her for himself, uh, which you can say is either consensual or rape, whatever. Um, or, um, and then eventually Uriah gets killed and we allow for a certain amount of sin. 
and then we're we're kind of shocked by it, you know. And then the devil, like you said, he is the accuser, and he wants us to to feel the full, you know, weight of our sin and have it crush us and and not give us hope in Christ. But um, yeah, it's I shouldn't be shocked at this, you know. Twenty hours of you know like screwing around on the internet, um, and then just eating Taco Bell and I don't know like you know having the lack of custody of the eyes. Eventually, you're going to end up in one place, um, and it's not going to be, you know, the place you want to end up. To. Last point was uh, Father Tom from University of Illinois used to always say, if you don't want to go to Cleveland, don't look up the ticket prices for Cleveland. Yeah. And then don't go to the ticket booth, right. like, to buy a ticket to Cleveland. And then don't get on the bus to Cleveland. Yeah. You know, like, and then when you end up in Cleveland, don't don't say to me, I don't know how this happened, Father. Right. You know? And that was really helpful for me because uh, I I I still struggle with this, but sometimes I try to ameliorate my sin. You know, I try to make myself, you know, like put in the best light yeah. or whatever. And it's just like, no, I chose this willingly and deliberately, and I desired this. Yeah. And eventually I did it. There is a satisfaction in screaming your face off at somebody who's got you really upset. Um, but, uh, you chose that willingly, or at least you chose, you know, to just be flippant with your words before then. And then eventually it just come out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, the foundation is laid by no offense to the people, the good people of Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We could just as easily say, you know, like, um, Branson or, uh, you know, Dubuque, Iowa. Be careful, father. What? You're just naming other cities now that they might get offended by. <laughs> I haven't heard of any listeners from Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. So, you know, but Cleveland, we had. We had those. Father had, Nathan at Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast if you want to complain. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think I think one thing that, that we can say here, um, Roman Catholic moral law. I don't. Have we ever given just the, the guidelines for for mortal sin? Yeah, I think it's helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's it, this is Roman Catholic kind of law, but I, I I think it's very helpful even in the East where we don't we're not this specific um, generally. Um, but anyway, so um, Roman Catholic moral theology, mortal sin requires that all of the following conditions are met. First, its subject matter must be grave, so it has to be a, a serious matter. Uh, secondly, it must be committed with full knowledge and awareness of the sinful action and the gravity of the offense. So it has to be serious. You have to know you're doing, or you have mm -hmm. to know that it's serious when you do it and know the gravity of what can happen if you do it. And then finally, it must be committed with deliberate and complete consent. So you must have, have consent okay. to the will. And I think this is where we need to be careful because if you, if you, if you like Herod kill someone because you're drunk, you know, it was getting drunk is no excuse. There, there's the whole right. The the consent comes in a sense from the the entire action, the entire moment, and and this is where it gets scary because it yeah. just seems so easy to get drunk. It does. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're going to kill someone, but you know, it's so easy to fall into the lesser sins. And this is why the devil's just holding our hand, walking us right down these these paths. So, so the, we need to understand 
uh, if we are mature human beings and mature Christians, we need to understand that the, the small things that we make excuses for, if we're not careful, you know, can lead to more serious mm-hmm. sins. And, and that's not an excuse because one thing leads to the other. This is how advertising works. It starts you with one thing and it leads you down the aisle. Now I cannot do without my iPhone. And how long did that take? What, a year? <laughs> you know, yeah, right. until, until, I'm, until I'm a slave to it? You know, the, the, the advertising knows this. Those who study human and, you know, workings and sociology, they know that this is how we humans work. The devil knows it too but so does our lord of course yeah i think it's i think that's very helpful for people to know like what are the qualifications for mortal sin there's two dangers in that one that they would see everything as a mortal sin right and i mean everything right it's like father i missed mass because i got into a car accident and i was in the hospital yeah and I'm like, that's not a sin. It's right. like, no, it, it falls under the category of grave matter. I fully consented to it. I was like, no. And then there's other times where it's just like, well, Father, I mean, I, I, I wasn't fully intending that, or I didn't consent to that, or I didn't know, you know, and I'm like, don't play this game, boy. Right. You know when you're in sin. Right. I, I know when I'm in sin. Yeah. And uh, I know when I have, I'm in sin. Like, uh, like I have sin on my heart that needs to be confessed. And I know when I've separated myself from God, um, and I've separated myself from the communion that's possible between persons, you know, and then don't screw around. Like, don't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm here, you know, I, I made it to mortal sin, so I might as well just, just spend my next, you know, two weeks in timeout, pretty much saying, I want to jump in the ball pit of my vice for like however long, and then just you know, crap on everybody Wall and my soul it, yeah. and then eventually come back and be like, Oh yeah. I'm like, get to confession. It's shameful, uh, that sometimes people are like, you know, it's been eight months since my last confession and I committed these sins a long, long time ago. I was like, then why did you wait so long? Right. And then for God's sakes, do not receive communion. If you are in a state of moral sin, yeah. like honestly, like I feel so bad for people because they, they want to, they want to experience like, they want so badly to, to be back in communion. And I'm like, there isn't, there is a way for that, mm-hmm. you know, like go to confession and then you're right back in, but you're effectively saying I choose my sin over communion, but I also want communion. Right. I'm like, you can't have it. Or seeing communion is kind of a magic trick. Like, like, like right. receiving is part of the process. Like, like putting the effort for confession, confessing goes out loud, receiving the forgiveness is all part of the process of receiving God's and grace. And I, I understand yeah. I, I've, I've, I've experienced that, and I think Father Michael would say the same thing. But what you need, what you need is reconciliation. Right. What you need is mercy. Right. And then out of the fullness of mercy, you can receive his love incarnate. Yeah. But his love incarnate will not aid you if you're not actually in communion. Right. Um, and again, like it's a, it's a delicate act, which is why I would say... If you don't know, uh, if, if you don't know or can't fully, you know, like piece it together, ask a priest or a trusted friend and just say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this. What do you think? Or just go into confession and be like, I don't know if this is mortal or venial, you know, but I'm going to confess it anyways. Um, the priest will help you normally. Um, but uh, the, the hard part is the devil does not want you to be reconciled and he wants you to feel like it's no big deal. Yeah. No biggie, you know, just, yeah, God doesn't care. Yeah. You know, he, do you think he really, you think he's keep, I had a guy say to me the other day, you know, father, I don't need a broker. I don't need a broker to go to God. Mm. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm here. Right. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what you want. And, and he went to confession and mm. it was evident, you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> Still got it. And I, I'm the same way. Like I, I've, I've had to make a, an act of contrition, like without receiving reconciliation because there wasn't a priest around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's really difficult. It's really hard to, to put yourself in a position where it's like, I don't want to be separated from you, God. Yeah. So, but you don't, please don't go to confession all the time. Please, for the love of God. Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm going to do another podcast or another homily at some point on, uh, how can you be forgiven outside of reconciliation? Yeah. Because uh, there are ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, and uh, th- that, great point. Yeah, and that leads into something else too. The, um, the gospel last Sunday for us uh, on the Byzantine calendar was the rich young man mm-hmm. who was asked if you want to be perfect give all you have good to the point come follow me and and it starts out by i started my homily by saying you know does it give you hope that he was young you know does his youth have anything to affect this story and i think it should i mean we should see that he's young and 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 as much as we want we should love everybody we say yes i mean he still has a chance then in other words he he if he's young he might get his act together. Yeah. He might stop being foolish. He might actually come back, you know. And so there's, that should give us hope, the fact that it's explicit that he was young. And I think that's that's also, though, a deeper point for us because as much as as much as much all of this moral theology talk and kind of the, 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 the horrible wages of sin, yeah. we are all, even if you're listening and you're 90 years old, we are all young in a sense of still having that hope. In other words, if, if we say I've built up 90 years of bad habits, how the heck am I supposed to get out of 90 years of bad habits? I, I am physically addicted to something. Yes. How am I supposed to get out of this? You, you're, you're telling me that these things lead to death. You're telling me these things lead to hell. How do I have any hope? If you're asking me to have good habits and build up virtues, how do I have any hope? And my answer would be, you're young. God lives in eternity. He has eternity. That, 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 I mean, in other words, we need to be urgent. We need, we need to say, I could die right now. But, but, but in God's work, we, if we just crack the door open to some sort of hope that, that say, Lord, I, I want to be purged of this. I yeah. do. I want to go to heaven. I, I, want, I, I want to live in your kingdom here on earth. I want to live joyfully in the kingdom here on earth. Uh, God can do so much that we should always see ourselves as young in the eyes of God in, in the way of saying there's still time. There's still uh, you know hope. There's always hope. Yeah. Um, and, and in the moments, remember that Jesus Christ is not just a, a mechanical judge. He, he is a person who understands all the, the, the subtleties of the Christian life. He understands all the subtleties of our life. He knows every thought that goes through our minds. He knows where our mind is. He knows what we want. He knows what we don't want. And, and when, we, when we get to the judgment seat, it's, we're still going to be dealing with a human being. We're still dealing with yeah. a person. It's not a machine that says, you did too much wrong. Now you're going to hell. The numbers didn't add up. We're, we're dealing with a person and someone who absolutely loves us and wants nothing more than to have us in heaven. So yeah. the, the, it should give us hope. Hope, where even though the church and 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 God are so explicit that these things can destroy lives, destroy ours and others' lives, um, we we are not Christian if we don't understand the hope of the resurrection, the hope of having a, a good, an all-loving Judge who's also completely merciful. Yeah. Remember, Lord, you called us, you called Jesus to be our Savior, not our Judge. That's one of our petitions. For, okay. I just don't think that sounds like a teenager. Yeah. That's the church ecclesia adolescentia. Yeah. So. Good job. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. Shout outs. All right. I sh- probably should have some, but I didn't write any down. So you I might. got one. Okay. Uh, this is the first time this has happened to me. Uh, there is a podcast listener um, at a place w- that's not church related 
uh, and I go to quite frequently, and it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so her name's Valerie. Nice. Uh, she works at Collier Hospice, um, which is the uh, departure lounge for a lot of people who are mm-hmm. uh, heading home yep. to the Lord. Uh, and so a lot of times, last rites and everything, you know, happen there. Uh, she's, uh, I think, she's a PA or an actual doctor. Sorry. Um, which maybe PAs are doctors, but I don't know the difference. Um, so, um, anyways, she's there and, uh, she's a big podcast listener and she was reminding me of certain things that I had said on the last one. And, and, uh, and she reminded me of the, uh, podcast being renamed, uh, four celibates talking to a woman. Uh, but (laughs) my hope Valerie, my hope Valerie is this, that, uh, as I was pulling out of the parking lot, I saw a old Volkswagen golf. I'm actually hoping that's your car. And if so, can I drive it? (laughs) Cause I guarantee you it's stick shift. It's like a 1987 or 90, uh, Volkswagen golf. It looks super cool. And she looks like the kind of girl that would have a super cool car. So Amen. I'll, I'll give a shout out to someone I didn't, I never got your name, but one of the weirdest, you talked about podcast, finding a podcast sister outside of the church. One of the weirdest moments for me of like how big this podcast is, was during the Boulder Boulder, we had just slowed down and we're walking in to get our free beer, like at the end of the Boulder Boulder. And we're walking in to get our free beer. And now I had like, since it's on Veterans Day, you can put um, like the name of, of veterans or of, of people who have died Memorial Day, excuse me, um, on write it on your on your tab for your uh, uniform. And so I wrote my my Vincent O'Loughlin, who was my deceased grandfather uh, for Memorial Day. And and so the name O'Loughlin was on the shirt, but she still like I was talking with a friend that she came up and said. I just recognized your voice. Are you Father Michael from the Catholic yeah. Church podcast? At the Boulder Boulder with thousands of people running. Yeah, right. You just heard my voice. I was like, okay, that is insane. So I, we didn't introduce ourselves. I don't know your name. Actually, we might have, but I forgot if it was. But shout out to you if you're still listening. And uh, well done running the Boulder Boulder and recognizing my voice from some crazy podcast. Yep. I do have one more. I forgot. Uh, uh, we have a lot of people stop by the parish, um, and it's, it's a great gift to me, but... Um, I need to have like a little satchel that I take out after mass that's like, welcome to St. Joan of Arc. Please like fill out this card so that I can give you a shout out. Um, So I'm always like trying to remember names and sometimes the reminders don't go through. Uh, And I was terrified that I forgot this guy, Um, but he had sent in an email beforehand. Um, So for uh, Brian LeBlanc, LeBlanc, uh, he's originally from Boston area and his parents came out with him. They were touring around the Rocky Mountains and... I love the Boston accent, mm. the Haba, yeah. you know, and uh, they they were so gracious, and I apologized to them because they thought that I had the 9 a.m. mass, so they went to the 9 a.m. mass, and then I didn't have it, oh. and so they had to wait around after the 9 a.m. mass because I was off doing something after mass. Oh, it was like the weekend of the... Summerfest, like getting uh, prepped for that. Right. And I didn't stroll in to like say the 1130 until like 1127. And they had waited for like an hour and a half oh to meet me. So uh, I do apologize. So to Brian LeBlanc and his family, thank you for the whiskey and for the brown bag that you discreetly handed it to me <laughs> in. Uh, uh, the young children that may be impressionable uh, will thank you someday. So God bless you. I hope you had a great time. Nice. Nice. All right, all. Good podcast, Father. Yeah. Hey, and last one, 
we have somebody doing uh, our editing now, yeah. uh, and this will be our first one solo, oh. because uh, Father John edited uh, Becca's podcast, yeah. the Scenes That's from right. Italian Restaurant. That's right. And then I think Becca, or did she do the last one? She did the Men in she, Black. She did the Men in Black okay. with Becca. I mean, Becca like a, oh, okay. Becca looked at it but afterwards. She's solo and, now. Uh, yeah, she is solo now. All right, Becca can help you now, Molly. Sorry. That's right. So Molly <laughs> Tynan, uh, Molly Tynan uh, is our new editor. So uh, thank you, Molly. Hopefully, you can make this under an hour. Catholic Stuff Podcast at Gmail dot com. Likes on Facebook. Give us a good uh, review on iTunes if you would. Yep. Thanks a lot, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. Bye.